Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, I'm Janet Miranda, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Just Ask Janet. And of course, this evening, we are going to continue our analysis of the Dobbs decision. And I'm joined, of course, this evening by the big expert in this topic, Father Frank Pavone, our National Director. Father, welcome to the program. Great to be here again with all our viewers. And uh, Janet, it's so important that we are delving into this decision because, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of hoopla going on, you know, and people are saying things pro and con. There's a lot of fluff, but we're digging deep into the actual decision, aren't we? Right. Yes, we are. And for those who maybe weren't here the past few nights, just to give you a quick summary, (laughs) we've already reviewed uh, that abortion is not in the Constitution and why all their claims about this amendment and that amendment, we we went through all that. Uh, And then we went through the history because that was the other argument. Well, what's the history of abortion in the United States? So we went through that argument. And by the way, all the previous shows, if you miss them, are on SupremeCourtVictory.com. Again, that's SupremeCourtVictory.com. That's where we're putting all these and all Father's notes and follow-up. Like, And as we add more things, it's always going to be there. So that's the place to go. So go ahead, Father. Well, let's start class. Let's go. Okay. So here's uh, the opinion. And uh, let's pick up where we left off. Like Janet said, we started out by showing that the decision says, OK, abortion's not in the text of the Constitution. It's not in the history either, because if there's a constitutional right that's not mentioned in the Constitution, the Supreme Court uh, rule is it's got to be in at least somewhere in the history, uh, deeply rooted, in fact, in the history of the country. And um, we looked at how they try to find it in the uh, in the 14th Amendment and uh, the decision deals with that. I want to go, Janet, I want to add a few things to those points here tonight. So let okay. me go over to the whiteboard. Of course, Father loves that whiteboard. <laughs> oh, yes. So we have the overarching question here. Does the Constitution confer a right to abortion? Of course, the Dobbs decision says no. Now, in the history, and Janet, you um, uh, researched some of this for your book, Everything right. You Need to Know About Abortion for Teens. The fact of the matter is that American history inherited its legal system originally from the common law, okay, brought over... um, From England. Yeah. Now, simple point. There's a lot of historical debate about this, and you saw Mm -hmm. that as you did your research and whatnot. But the the, the settled... uh, There's an author by the name of Della Pena, by the way, who does is a really great expert on the history of abortion. Roe versus Wade used serial means uh, and quoted him seven times, didn't use any other historians. And you know who that guy was? That guy was an attorney for, for NARAL. Uh, he wasn't a historian. And he right. had unique he had unique historical arguments that had never been pr- uh, presented before and that have since been discredited. So Roe versus Wade, quote, history is garbage. And uh, uh, Professor De La Pena, on the other hand, has written very extensive history regarding abortion. In any case, make a long story short, common law prohibited abortion. Now, right. it was... Uh, it was wrong. It was clearly wrong. Now, in various places, 
some places were more lenient than others. Um, and for a while, as you know, the, the dividing line was quickening. Um, but that didn't mean quickening, okay, when the mother feels the baby move, you know, somewhere right. around 15, 16 weeks. That didn't mean abortion was okay before that, but sometimes the penalties were more lenient because it was a matter of evidence, Janet. It was a matter of, you know, was the baby really alive and did the, abor did the action of abortion really kill the baby? Well, if you could say you felt the baby move, then that's clear evidence that, yeah, the baby was alive then, is not alive now. So it was more of an evidentiary thing because, remember, there wasn't uh, uh, ultrasound, obviously, and you couldn't see, and we didn't know so much about the baby. So, But as time went on, here's the thing I, I did not point out um, yesterday. In the 1800s, okay, um, but, uh, this is when, it was only in the 1800s that, that medical science began to, to, to understand the process of fertilization right. and came to realize, wait a minute, we have a human life here right from the beginning of pregnancy. So what started to happen in the 1800s is that you had codification of um, abortion laws from the common law into statutes, okay? Um, in other words, laws were passed by the various states saying that abortion was prohibited. And Janet, they got rid, as people understood, as science understood the process of fertilization and the development of the baby in the womb, they codified these laws, not as brand new uh, prescriptions of the law, but the codification was part of translating the common law into statutes. So in other words, that's another piece of evidence that they already considered abortion wrong. Now they were just expressing it in a different way. And they got rid of the quickening distinction. And the states were abolishing abortion throughout pregnancy. So this was all revealed, you know, and the opinion talks about this as the, um, uh, uh, as the argument is made that the right to abortion is not in the Constitution uh, or in our history. If you see places that were more lenient in punishing abortion, even there, even if you say, oh, well, here's evidence that some abortions were allowed, that's not the same as saying there's a right to abortion. Right. That's an important distinction that the opinion makes. Okay. So, um, Janet, I want to transition now to another. So what are the pro-abortion people, what are the supporters of Roe and Casey say in response to all this, that abortion is not in the text, not in the history. Well, predictably, you know what they say? It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> right? doesn't matter. Well, Nothing yeah, matters. but their point is that women have come to rely on abortion, and after 50 years of legalized abortion, how are you going to take it away from them? I mean, that's their big right. thing. And, and the point is, and this is the thing we keep saying, well, by overturning Roe, all you're doing is taking it again, as we say, out of the judicial branch, back to legislative. And so many uh, states have already put abortion till birth in their, some of them in their constitutions, passed the laws. So, but it does give the states who want to be pro-life 
the opportunity to have their laws stand that abortion can be outlawed. So exactly. Uh, so they, exactly. they need to stop the whining because, you know, you want to kill your babies. Well, California, New York, they're going to be the capitals of uh, travel uh, to for abortion. You know, New Jersey, where you used to live. Oh, they put it in their constitution. And they have a Catholic governor. I know. Shame, shame, shame. Shame, shame. So let's look at what, how do these, how do these, in the opinion here, okay, so this argument is taking place in the Supreme Court. How does the other side respond to this? Well, actually, they don't dispute the lack of the right to abortion in history. What they say is, well, it doesn't really matter because we are looking, here's what they say, at a broader, a broader entrenched right to liberty and autonomy. Now, which one of the uh, liberal justices wrote this? Well, well, this would be uh, Breyer, who, by the way, tomorrow at noon... I know, he retires. ...his departure from the court. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Because tomorrow morning they're going to issue the final two decisions of decisions. the term. Right. Breyer has submitted his letter. He's out at 12 noon. Uh, but yeah, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, they're all into this. And and the and remember, we have to remind people, the Solicitor General of the United States, so in other words, the Biden administration, was in court too for this Dobbs case, arguing for the pro-abortion side. Right. They actually participated in the oral argument. Solicitor General can do that if they if they choose. They ask the court for you know a period of time in the oral argument. So the mm -hmm. Biden administration was arguing for this too. Broader entrenched right to liberty and autonomy. Now they go back to Casey and Janet. You'll remember this. In Casey, there is the so-called mystery clause, and what that says, and I'll quote it. <laughs> Okay, the mystery clause in Casey, at the heart of liberty, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. That's actually in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision. That's what liberty means to these people. It is an unhinged, I mean, it is biblically, you will be like gods. Liberty well, means. Yeah. But see, Father, that, that shows you why they're saying abortion till birth, they've gotten to that point because they're saying the mother should have the liberty to decide the fate of her own child, basically. Yeah. And wasn't yeah. it that one guy, was it Budacek? One of them who said even after birth, and, and that former governor of Virginia was in favor of even after birth. Oh, Northam, you mean, of Virginia. Northam, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So it's it's stemming from this it same is. mindset. Well, well, the mystery clause, I mean, I mean, you really want to look at what that means. It means you could do what you want. Everyone right. makes their own makes their own truth. The opinion actually says, you know, if you really believe that, well, here's what Dobbs says. It proves to much because then you can claim the liberty to use illicit drugs you could claim the liberty for prostitution you can do anything now what the what the other side does to continue to develop this idea that there's this broader right to liberty okay it's not in the text it's not in the history but it's there they say um they say well look the precedents 
Now, we're not talking here about precedence of Roe and Casey because tomorrow night, Janet, we're going to get into this whole thing about stare decisis. Right. Um, but the other precedents of the court are invoked by the other side to say, well, you know, of course there's a right to liberty uh, 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 and privacy that should not be infringed and that should include abortion. What are some of these precedents? Well, the contraception cases. Now, tell our audience how we know uh, you know, the Eisenstadt case, okay, Griswold versus Connecticut legalized contraception for married people, but Eisenstadt versus Baird legalized it for single people. Right. And we know the man, Baird. don't we? <clears throat> we know Baird. <laughs> yeah, Bill Baird um, <clears throat> was from New York, and uh, he also opened an abortion clinic <clears throat> in New York, in Long Island, actually. And he uh, did not think it was right that contraception was only legal for married couples. He thought single people should have the right to contraception. And so he challenged the law up in Massachusetts. He went on a college campus and he, he you know, gave, bought some contraceptives up there in a pharmacy, had the receipt for them, and he gave them to, he had it all like rigged already, <clears throat> gave it to a college student. Of course, he was arrested and he fought his case all the way up to the Supreme Court, and he won. Yeah, yeah. It was because so, of Baird that versus Eisenstadt that we have uh, contraception uh, outside of marriage. For so those are two of the precedents that the other side points to. Then there's a case called Loving. That was a case that permitted you to marry interracially. Uh, another case called um, called Moore. Uh, dealt with the right to live with relatives. Another one, um, Turner, the right to get married in prison. Um, there was a Pierce case, the right to choose for your children what kind of uh, education you want to give them. And then, of course, more recently, after uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, you've got the uh, Lawrence and Obergefell uh, decisions, you know, the right to uh, have sexual intimacy with a person of the same gender and and also uh, the gay marriage case. Okay, so these and other cases too. When you think about it, okay, this is talking about basically the freedom to do certain things without government uh, taking away or intruding on those choices. Um, yeah, but this the difference, Father, is all those examples, and I think the conservative justice has pointed this out, all those cases are not the same as Roe v. Wade and Casey. That's right. That's right. The, the Roe okay, v. Wade and Casey take an innocent life. And That's all right. those are the examples of liberty that the liberals are pointing at. None of those take an innocent life. And isn't Abortion. that what the justices said, right? That's uh, what they said. Abortion ends a life. Let me quote from this uh, Dobbs case, a paragraph that goes right into this, uh, what you just said. That's exactly the response to them invoking these other precedents. Now, oh, well, you know, if you can do what you want in those other contexts, why don't you have the right to choose abortion? Well, here's what Dobbs says. Quote, what sharply distinguishes the abortion right from the rights recognized in the cases on which Roe and Casey rely is something that both those decisions acknowledged. Abortion destroys what those decisions call potential life 
and what the law at issue in this case regards as the life of a, quote, unborn human being. Abortion, uh, uh, in Roe v. Wade, it says, Janet, abortion is, quote, inherently different. And in Casey, it says abortion is, quote, a unique act. So let's put those here. Inherently different and a unique act. Inherently different. Right. Now, this is Roe and Casey talking. Even they acknowledge it's inherently different and it's a unique act. Why? Because no matter what value you might put on that life, no matter what you want to call that life, it's a life and abortion purposely ends it. And that's what makes this different. You can't put this under the category of privacy or liberty because never in any other case, and Janet, this is such a crucial point to understanding the Dobbs case. Never in any other case, in any other matter of law, has the Supreme Court authorized the deliberate taking of a human life. Never. So, like, how all of a sudden do we get to that point where now we can invoke liberty to kill somebody? How do we do that? And the court said, no, Dobbs is saying, we're not going to cross that line. We made a mistake in thinking that uh, that you could cross that line. So let me sit down here again. So those are, that brings us through that. Well, you know, Father, um, too, you know, just to remind everybody, um, we know that the justices in, in Roe were also slanted. You know, a couple of them had family members who volunteered or involved with Planned Parenthood. They should have recused themselves, et cetera. They had an agenda. But let's think back. You know, when this case began in the early 70s, way well before 73, you know, when a woman, there was no going into a pharmacy and buying a pregnancy test. You had to go to a doctor. So it was quite a while into her, like by the time she missed her second period, she's first going to a doctor to find out she's pregnant. So a lot of these women are close to, I would say, 10, 12 weeks down the road in their pregnancy when they were first finding out they were pregnant and there was no ultrasound, you know, right. so, so people have to, you know, remember back, remember when the younger folks, they don't even know the things I'm talking about, but it was, the atmosphere was very different back then. There were no pregnancy centers. And also too, you know, when I was, you know, it, I graduated from high school in 1970, you know, any girls that were having sex outside of marriage in the late sixties, they were considered like the bad girls, you know what I mean? Yeah. The girls who were loose, it was it was frowned on, even though the sexual revolution was beginning. It was still had a negative connotation, and if you got pregnant, well, you know, you went off to some convent, you know, in another state, gave birth, baby went up for adoption, and then they came home. So, you know, it was it was a very different time. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, I think that's leads to why how they crept it in, you know, so easily because everybody uh-huh. else was no one was paying attention, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't even, you know, I think I've told this to people before. When Roe v. Wade passed in 73, I was in college and I didn't even know that abortion became legal. It was an issue because the Vietnam War was raging. I was watching, you know, some of my friends getting drafted. So America was in a very different time. That's what I have to say about that. You have to keep remembering the context you were in back then, so... Go yeah, ahead. Next, exactly. next point. <laughs> well, well, uh, let's see if there's some comments or questions from our audience. Uh, okay. Uh, I share. Um, 
let's see. Okay, here, Walter. Walter is one of our faithful uh, uh, viewers. Uh, let's see what Walter is asking. So, this father, this is where I'm confused. Is not the decision saying that the majority in each state will determine who lives and who dies? I believe the Constitution plainly expresses a right to life. Okay, so Janet, Walter is, is, is pointing out uh-huh. a key distinction here. Right. It is true that the Dobbs case, and we'll be explaining this more um, uh, in the coming nights, the Dobbs case actually does not take a policy position on abortion. Right. It doesn't take the, the Dobbs decision is saying, look, as a court, we are not going to uh, take sides in the pro-life, pro-choice debate. Now, we obviously take sides. And let's just talk about what our final goal is. The justices are saying here that we as justices, we as the Supreme Court, do not want to impose a policy on the nation on abortion. Now, even the pro-life justices do not want to impose a pro-life policy. However, that doesn't mean that they're going to remain satisfied with what the Dobbs case says as the final goal. Let me make a distinction. Our final goal is to amend the Constitution so that it makes it very clear, crystal clear, that the right to life belongs to the unborn child. The Constitution, (laughs) the Declaration acknowledges the right to life, and the Constitution says, both in the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments, that you may not, the state may not deprive a person of life without due process of law. Janet, that's what's ironic about the fact that the pro-aborts are looking at those same two amendments to claim a right to abortion because they also say that uh, it doesn't, uh, you can't be deprived of liberty. Right, and here's again about another little bit of history. People may not realize the final goal you're talking about is a human life amendment. That is something that Nellie Gray herself, God rest her soul, um, when she founded the March for Life uh, Committee, Educational Fund, their ultimate goal was a human life amendment. And if you read the platform of the Republican Party, they even have that as a final goal for the Republican Party platform is a human life amendment because that's that's the you know the end of the rainbow the the, the prize we're all going for eventually that's the prize and, and you know you know who else indicates that as the prize and the goal the bishops uh, in their pastoral plan for pro life activities right they say you know but hey father maybe some of these liberal bishops need to read their own pastoral plan well i think so i think some of them i think some of them frankly uh, need to read the bible too uh, <laughs> but but getting back to to finish explaining on walter's point okay we want a constitutional that's what we ultimately need now what this dobbs case does is it gets us a step closer to that it gets us a big step closer to that because you can't amend the Constitution, you can't say there's a right to life in the Constitution until and unless you get rid of the idea that there's a right to abortion in the Constitution. Right. So, right. in other words, what Dobbs is doing 
It's actually, I was talking earlier today with Alan Keyes, our friend yeah. Alan Keyes. I right. haven't talked to him in a long time, but he had me on his program. We got a deep conversation for an hour about this stuff. And, 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 and he was saying, look, you know, I mean, there's a right to life. There's obviously a right to life. And he was saying, you know, as he was reading through the decision, Alan said, and I agreed with him. He said, you know, I think what we've got here is a setup for a one, two punch. You know, the one is get rid of this nonsense about a right to abortion, right? Put it back in the hands of the people. Okay. So Walter and everybody, here's the, here's the, here's the game plan. Once the issue is back in the hands of the people and the people can legislate and the people can make abortion illegal again, that's the road towards a constitutional amendment. You can't amend the constitution on this without first making abortion illegal. And in making it illegal, the people are getting ready to, you have, we have to build a consensus. We have to build such a strong wave against abortion in the law that eventually it, 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 it becomes uh, feasible for the states to actually ratify a constitutional amendment. And that is where the amendment would clarify what I agree is already in the Constitution, that you can't deprive an innocent person of life. That right. is what, first of all, the Declaration says it. That's our principles, right? And then mm -hmm. the Constitution is the mechanism. <laughs> but in the 5th and the 14th Amendment, again, you have it right there, the word life. You can't be deprived of life uh, without due process. So, Janet, so, uh, how many, um, <clears throat> to get a constitutional amendment, what's the number of states you need? You need three quarters of the states. All right. So you see, brothers and sisters, that's why we have a steep hill to climb, because as we get these blue states enshrining abortion, we've got to gin up the red states. We, we're going to need three quarters of the states to eventually reach our ultimate goal, which is this human life amendment. So, and you need, and you need two thirds of each house of Congress as well. Right. Um, so that's yeah. why elections are going to be counting in a big yeah. way. They count big, they, they count big. And, 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 you know, Janet, here's a, here's a strategy. I was thinking about this the other day. One of the strategies towards the ultimate goal of amending the constitution, if you got to get these States ratifying uh, an amendment, is to get them to amend their state constitutions first. And, and a number of states are, are, are engaged in battles, you referred to this briefly before, about whether or not um, abortion, a right to abortion, first of all, is in their constitution. Now, I think as those battles are played out, they need to be drawing some arguments from Dobbs. Because even right. though it's a different constitution, obviously, the, some of the principles are exactly the same. Okay, so that's number one. But number two, if the states can work and we can work as 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 pro-life people in urging a, a constitutional amendments at the state level. Think of it this way. If a state gets enough support for protecting the unborn that they are willing to amend their constitution. Well, then, if a federal constitutional amendment like that comes along and that it is proposed, isn't it more likely that that state is then going to ratify it? Right. Right. Because they yeah. just amend, they amended their own in the same way. So, Father, just to give hope to some folks from like New Jersey and you know where they put it in their constitution. Yes. Well, so basically what you're saying is in time, if we boot out of office, these liberal Democrats, even in New Jersey. Right. Yes. We, they nearly got a Republican governor last yes. year. Yes. They, they came, came this close. This close. 
Yeah, but if it'll can, happen. If you can do that yeah. and you get the majority changed in that state, then they could amend their state constitution and they can unenshrine a portion out of their constitution then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. It's possible. So see, that's yeah. why I've been saying no matter what state you're in, don't give up. That's why no. elections are so important that we can we can make, we can still make progress. Well, Francine is asking an interesting question. Are, are, are the majority of the states pro-life or pro-choice? Well, Francine, actually, the good news is the majority are pro-life. Are pro-life. Um, if you look at the states either that have pre, uh, ex, uh, trigger laws or pro-life laws that maybe are being held up in court or have uh, pre-existing pro-life laws prior to Roe that are now going to go back into effect, um, Plus, you have the ones that, like Florida, have a very positive pro-life environment where we are uh, able to pass more pro-life legislation because our governor is going to call a, a session of the legislature together, special session to do that. You have about just over a majority. You have about 26 states that are in that cat those categories combined. Right. Uh, and then you have another, I would say, another four or five even beyond that. That have right. a favorable a favor. I would say you have about, I would say you have about thirty states, right. uh, who which are favorable climate for the unborn. Um, now we got to work like crazy on the other twenty, and we will. And I and I believe. See now, look, Janet. I've, I made this point before about the Dobbs case. It makes it harder for the other side. It makes it harder for the pro-abortion side to um, to to keep abortion legal. And here's why. Even though Dobbs doesn't take a policy position on abortion, okay. what it said was, and we'll get into this when we analyze uh, more of the, the, the decision, what it said was, you know what? We made a mistake in uh, Roe and Casey because they did take sides, okay? Because they said to the states, you can't protect the unborn. You can't, even if you want to. You right. can't before viability, right? You can't do it. And it's like, why not? That's taking a side. In other words, if there's arguments on both sides of the issue, right? And the court heard the arguments. They heard them in the oral arguments. They heard them in the uh, in the um, in the briefs that were submitted. And the court is saying, "Hey, listen, guys, we know the arguments on both sides." And then they said to the supporters of Roe and Casey, "What you guys have to have to convince us of is not your policy arguments on abortion. What you have to convince us of is this." Why is the Supreme Court the place where that policy should be decided? Right. Right? You see the point? In other words, that the, the, the court is saying, Lee, we know that this is a divisive issue. Mm -hmm. We know that there are arguments on both sides. Guys, work it out. Work it States. out with your with your lawmakers, right? Mm -hmm. Or and also in the federal Congress. The federal work, it, work it out with your lawmakers. Why are you, why are you putting the burden on us nine <laughs> people, nine people who are not even elected, you know, and, and, and are, you know, this is, if people understand this, Janet, I think they'll be very encouraged because, yeah. because we have a roadmap here now for ending this thing once and for all. Yeah, and, and you know, what people really have to do is right now, we have to train our guns on, you know, our eyes on the prize, the midterm elections in November. You know, that's our first hurdle. We've got to make maximum benefit. We've got to increase and take back this, the House, not by a little squeak, but by a big amount. And, mm -hmm. and the dream would be, can we increase the Senate to 60? Could we? I mean, 
<clears throat> if the atmosphere in this country keeps going like uh, with the economy and everything, we just might get more people voting our way. So everybody has got to work very hard right now getting people, make sure they're properly registered to vote. Because um, <clears throat> just the other day they said that uh, nationwide over a million people have switched from Democrat, their, their registration Democrat to Republican. Yes. And only only yes. 600,000 nationwide have gone from you know, registered in Democrat Democrats. So yeah, we're outpacing them on the party we registrations. Are. We um, are. That's why everyone who's watching our programs, everyone who, you know, within the sound of my voice and yours, Father, this is it. We got to sprint to the finish up for November and we've got to get everybody that's like-minded. Now's not the time, by, by the way, guys, to try to convince your pro-abortion friends why the Dobbs case really was a good thing and why they need to be pro-life. Don't even, don't waste your breath. They're not going to move the needle right now, but the people who are kind of in the middle and, you know, the, the economy is real important to them. Those are the people that have the conversations with, you know, we call yeah. it the low hanging fruit. Don't mess with the, <laughs> the radicals. You know, we all have some in our family, unfortunately. Well, and Francine is asking also which states are like the battlegrounds. Where, where's the tipping point? You know what? One of the key and Francine, what we're going to do is in some future programs, we're going to take a look at all at all 50 states and where they stand. Right. We're going to go through it in detail. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you off the top of my head, one of the big one of the key battlegrounds, Pennsylvania. Right. Pennsylvania is is torn. OK, mm -hmm. uh, it really it really is. It's torn politically. Um, we've got an important Senate race there this year. We've right. got an important governor's race there this mm -hmm. year. Janet, if the Senate, uh, if the Senator, uh, Dr. Oz, of course, is, is the uh, is the candidate. He's he's pro-life, by the way, in right. case anybody has any doubt. Uh, Dr. Oz is running for the Senate. And then um, Mastriano, great governor candidate uh, there in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I tell you what. It, 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 victories in those two races is really going to help Pennsylvania. Um, right. You know, it's been Pennsylvania actually, you know, Planned Parenthood versus Casey came out of Pennsylvania. Right. Right. Casey mm -hmm. was the, and in fact, I knew him, we both met him. The governor Casey was a pro-life Democrat. One right. of the only, one of the only uh, pro-life Democrats. Right. Uh, and then of course, uh, another battleground state is going to be Georgia. Oh yeah. There because oh, we yeah. have that, 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 liberal black passer uh, warnock oh you and i have had we also have the black football star on the republican side who's a hundred yeah, hey, i was just with him herschel i was just herschel with herschel walker, herschel yeah. walker great guy yeah. uh but we were you and i have been with warnock too oh my gosh he's terrible Remember we sat through those services? We yeah. should explain to people why we were there, though, because it's not that, you know, well. We were with Alveda King and the King family, and it was one of their, their services. And we even Alveda doesn't like Warnock. She was like. <laughs> oh, no, it was just terrible. Yeah. But um, I just saw on a, 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 a poll today that they're, they're within 10 points of each other right now. That's close. This far out within 10 points. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we uh, have a lot of work to do. So to answer Francine. Really, guys, if you want to um be involved in on the, our political work, you just need to go to prolifevote.com. That's our political page and sign up to be part of our, our election volunteers because we do a training call, Zoom calls 
Uh, right now, they're once a month, but come September, they'll be weekly to help guide you through the political uh, season and to get you engaged in, in activity. So everybody, just go to ProLifeVote.com uh, and sign up to be part of our election team. We could use you. Someone was asking me also, Janet, just to answer one more question, uh, what I think about Catholic uh, uh, League cataloging the acts of violence against churches and um, pro-life uh, uh, centers. And I think that's a very important. I think we need to do that. We, yeah. we, we, we absolutely need to catalog it very carefully, uh, yeah. both for the public record, for public opinion, uh, and for law enforcement, too. Uh, cataloging this stuff is important, is important. Uh, you know, you don't hear too much now, Janet, like in years past, we always had to endure the, uh, accusation that, mm -hmm. oh, the pro-life movement, you know, that's a violent movement. You know what? I don't hear that so much now. The other side would be silly to say that now when they're the ones doing all the violence. Yeah, they are, unfortunately. Okay, so Father, uh, any other points for tonight's class before we... No, I think, no, what we're going to do tomorrow now is we're mm -hmm. going to go into the uh, star analysis. analysis, yes, right. um, and, and we're going to see why the Dobbs uh, court um, uh, decided under stare decisis that it was time to reverse Roe and Casey. We're going to look at that. Uh, what we've established already, again, remember they pointed out Casey didn't even address the question of whether the Constitution confers a right to abortion. So now we've seen their main reasons as to why the answer to that question is no. So now the question is, if the Constitution doesn't confer a right to abortion, what about the argument that these decisions have been around for a long time and that we should therefore not change them? Mm -hmm. That's what's going to come next. Right. And like we said, the Supreme Court does have a history of changing long-time precedent when the evidence is clear that it's time that this yep. right no longer exists. Segregation was a big one with Brown versus Board of Ed. That was huge. And you so, know how long that took to reverse. Uh, close to 60, Brown, 60 Brown, years. Brown versus Board of Education came fifth, 58 years okay. after Plessy versus Ferguson. And uh, Janet, you remember me always saying over all these years that we've been doing pro right. for life work, people would say, Oh, how long is it going to take to reverse Roe v. Wade? I said, listen, Brown v. Board of Education took 58 years. We are well within the historical window of time. I've said that in so many talks. We're well within the historical window of time for these decisions. Well, and what reversed. we've always been saying is we needed a willing court. Yeah. We needed enough ju conservative justices right to really, you know, make it happen and this is that's what, and we got that because of President Trump. So if we Thank you President Trump, that's yeah, right. I mean, we wouldn't have had these three extra we, we couldn't be where we are right now without those three justices. So Well, not only would we not be where we are right now, but there would have been three justices in there who would have be reaffirming Roe for another 50 years. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we're in a great time. Um, and we just have to learn to ignore the abuse from the other side a little bit. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm basically, Father, I'm not answering advice to everybody on Facebook. Um, <clears throat> I know some people who are adamantly pro-choice. And when they put all their garbage on Facebook, I don't comment. I snooze, right. I snooze them for a little for 30 days. I just don't get, get involved because I know I can't convince them over to my side. No matter 
I could tell them all the arguments of Dobbs, but they're not going to listen. They're going to go, la, la, la. you know, and that's really a challenge to some of these people say, did you even read the decision? Did, did Do you, you know read? what's in the decision? Right. They that's don't. Right. They're just screaming the rhetoric that they hear from the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, and, and the whole. Uh, oh, and, I, and, and I'd and like to know. Reader, I'd like please. to know if Biden, Pelosi, and Schumer even read it. Probably not. I'm sure they haven't. Guaranteed, they haven't. So you know, the the, the thing is, right now, we're going to educate you so that you can strengthen the other people in your circle of influence who are somewhat pro-life, don't really understand what happened, that you can assure them this is what happened and this is why your pro-life position is correct. You know, yeah. so uh, yeah. we got a lot of work to do. So Father, um, closing. Great, great, great discussion, Janet. Thanks so yeah. much. And uh, um, you have a closing prayer for everybody because we do absolutely. need prayer. <laughs> Absolutely. Friends, right. thank you so much. Thanks so much for being with us. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, bless the Supreme Court. Bless President Trump. Bless the uh, Senate Republicans who were responsible for the confirmation of Justice Barrett, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Gorsuch. Uh, bless all of them, Lord, uh, and bless our, our, our nation as we absorb this moment, as we learn more about this Dobbs decision, as we build now on the opportunity the court has given us to protect the unborn through our lawmakers. Let us do it, Lord, and let us give us success in this election that we may, may elect more and more and more pro-life candidates uh, at every level of government. We ask all this in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, until tomorrow night, same bad time, same bad channel. If you've missed any of these classes, go to supremecourtvictory.com. That's where they all are. So you can rewatch them, take some more notes. And like Father said, he will be putting up uh, talking points once we get through all the classes. He's been he's very busy writing talking points for you all. So they will get posted there soon. And then before by September, we're going to have a nice little brochure booklet for you that you'll be able to take around and distribute. So we are on a march here to help educate, educate, educate everyone. So thanks for joining us this evening. Until tomorrow night, this is Janet Morena, Executive Director of Priest for Life. And of course, my great boss, Father Frank Pavone, National Director. Thank you, Father, and have a good night. God bless. God bless you all. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.